welcome back to Scriptures with Momentary. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger. Okay, so today we're going to be reading the rest of Jeremiah and starting Lamentations. So we're going to start out with a quote from President Ezra Taft Benson. He said, prophecy is but, but history in reverse, a divine disclosure of future events. That was in Enzyme, January 1974. Judah had been sufficiently warned that their sins would lead to their captivity. And history shows that all of the prophets' words, such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lehi, and Ezekiel, came to pass. Babylon invaded Jerusalem and destroyed the houses, walls, and temple. Many were killed and others were taken captive to Babylon. So I'm also reading from the Red-Headed Hostess case. You're wondering, I'm glad that we can get back to this reading. Um, and today, actually, I'm coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I was able to come with Dad because he had a work trip and they paid for a hotel stay. And so, of course, Dad's like, oh, why don't we bring Mom with us? Why? Because I love trips and I love traveling with that with Dad. And it's like a extended date. <laughs> But sadly, I was thinking I was going to be super productive while I was here. And sadly, I got sick <clears throat> the day before uh, we left. And so now I'm just spending time trying to get better. But this is part of the thing that I wanted to do, which is doing my reading. And I'm in the tub to hopefully get our stuff done. So and get all this gunk out of my chest and head okay so another quote or not quote um some facts king josiah king of jude kings of judah <laughs> during jeremiah's 40-year ministry as prophet there was a lot of instability of judah's throne these were the kings of judah during his this fragile period also sorry about the echo because i'm in the tub right um the first king was king josiah then king jehoahaz Jehoahaz, anyway, I can't pronounce that. King Jehoiakim, then Jehoachin, then King Zedekiah. So lots of different kings. Um, and then just like a little intro to the book of Lamentations. A lamentation is an expression of sorrow, a cry of grief. That's from the Webster's Dictionary. Written, so Lamentations, the book of Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. This book expresses Judah's horrible condition after being taken captive to Babylon. I mean, captive by Babylon. Um, I think it's a little bit different than, so Lament, I, I think it's interesting that we have like a book of like Psalms, um, which, you know, have a lot of praise and adoration and then we have a book of lamentations <laughs> which are like sad things that happened and um it's just kind of interesting okay so first they're going to be the lord will gather judah and israel the lord will then gather judah and israel ephraim is the firstborn the lord's new covenant with israel then so i'm just reading like page titles this is kind of like what each page is going to be about then Judah will be captured and later gathered. Then the Lord will gather Judah and Israel. Christ will reign. Then Baruch reads Jeremiah's prophecies. Then the king burns Jeremiah's prophecies, which is really sad. <coughs> like, don't burn them. Then Jeremiah laments over Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem laments her condition. Of course, because now you wish you would have listened to Jeremiah, the prophet of the Lord. That isn't that what always happens, right? Like we're always sad when we don't listen to either our parents or, you know, because they were paying attention to the prophet or then, you know, we're not paying attention to the prophet ourselves. And it's just we're going to have lamentations when we don't listen to a prophet. We're going to have lamentations. <laughs> um, we have Jeremiah speaking as Judah and Jeremiah laments and then Judah to look to the Lord. So those are our things that we're going to be covering. Okay. Okay, so we first start out with Jeremiah chapter 30, um, and then we're going to go to 33, then 36, then Lamentations 1 and 3. Okay, so Jeremiah chapter 30 starts with, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Okay, so I remember in the Book of Mormon, the Lord also asking um, when it's in 35, when he comes and he sh uh, shows himself to the Nephites, he asks them, you know, if they've written all the things and they haven't. And so then he tells them that they need to start writing stuff. And so the Lord wants us to write down these, uh, these things, um, like things that happen to us that are faith building, things that happen to us that are specifically related to our testimony, I think. And also, um, like, for example, he wanted him to write all these things that are happening to Jerusalem. And it makes sense because when you see all these things written out, like the way we're reading them, we can see patterns and we can see like, oh, you know what? Because they weren't obedient, this is what happened. And so even sometimes when we're not being obedient we should be writing stuff down and when we are we can be writing stuff down and we can be writing stuff down all the time and I think keeping a journal is going to be like really key for us and our testimonies to help us to see those patterns in our own lives okay so um Sit in the tub, you guys. Okay. Um, so this chapter and the next chapter contain prophecies concerning the great gatherings of Israel that is to happen in the last days. So like prophecies for the prophets or revelations to a people given to a prophet are called prophecies. But revelation given to ourselves is just called, you know, revelation. And so we need to be writing those person those things for ourselves like personal revelation we can be writing those things down so that we can remember them and i mean i can't say that i'm really good at it but i i try to write some of the things down i need to be better at doing that and in fact um i recreated this journal page for my um to do it's like my to-do list my my battle 
can't remember what I call it. I should probably figure that out so that I know what to talk to know so that I know what to call it. It's um it's like my schedule for the day, you know? Uh my planner. And I used to just have it be one page, but ever since I saw this other person like doing this writing letters to the Lord and then like writing my personal revelation down, I was like, Oh, I think I kinda like that. And I was keeping it kind of short on one side, but then I was like, you know what, but if I have time or if I want to have that extra relationship with the Lord, then I can write it out. So I think that's going to be my like second page on the back. Um, anyway, because it's so important for us to write those things down so that we don't forget, because guess what? We're going to forget. Why? Because Satan wants us to forget and he's going to keep distracting us with all kinds of mess. Okay, so like Isaiah, Jeremiah understands that there would be a day when their people would see glorious days. Their bitter punishments that they witnessed will not last, but the Lord had a plan for his covenant people. If these chapters are chronologically placed, the book of Jeremiah can be chronologically confusing. Then the prophecies in these chapters were recorded just before the destruction and fall of Jerusalem in Jeremiah 32, 1-2. Two chapters from this point, we learn that Babylon besieged Jerusalem, which would then place the prophecies just before those terrible days. Though Judah was just about to face terrible judgments, the Lord makes clear that this will not be the end of Judah nor of Israel. Though it may seem that they were facing utter ruin, the Lord explains that I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. What hope this must give them, uh, must have given them the faithful. And this was not only a promise of Judah, but the Lord said, my people Israel and Judah. So that's awesome. Okay, so then we have verse 4 to 7. Okay, and these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins, as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. And so this is like a day of trouble. Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So the Lord explains that he will have heard the voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. There will be a day of trouble even or when every man will be in pain. <laughs> and I'm not trying to laugh at the in pain part, but like because it said man in travail. Usually that means like they're pregnant when they say woman in travail. Anyway, and the Lord likens the pain to a woman giving birth. It will be a day of trouble, but Jacob shall be saved out of it. <clears throat> and so Joseph Smith explained this. Men profess to prophesy, to prophesy. I will prophesy that the signs of the coming of the Son of Man are already commenced. One pestilence will, will desolate after another. We shall soon have war and bloodshed. The moon will be turned to blood. I testify of these things and that the coming of the Son of Man is nigh even at your doors. There will be here and there a stake of Zion for the gathering of the saints. Some may have cried peace, 
but the saints and the world will have little peace from henceforth. We ought to have the building up of Zion as our greatest object. When wars come, we shall have to flee to Zion. They cry, the cry is to make haste. The last revelation says, Ye shall not have time to have gone over the earth until these things come. It will come as did the cholera, war, fires, and earthquakes, one pestilence after another until ancient of days comes. Then judgment will be given to the saints. The time is soon coming when no man will have any peace but in Zion and her stakes. So this is from Joseph Smith's Teachings from the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 160. And I remember President Nelson talking about this and, and quoting Joseph Smith in this during general conference and how he says that gathering Israel is the most important thing that we need to be doing. So I think that's awesome. Okay, then we have verses 8 to 17. Okay, here we go. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore, oh, and this is David like the Messiah. Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations. Whether I have scattered thee, yet I will not make a full end of thee but i will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished for thus saith the lord thy bruise is incurable and thy wound is grievous so they have like a incurable sickness there is none to plead thy cause that thou mayest be bound up thou hast no healing medicines all thy lovers have forgotten thee, and thy, they seek thee not, for I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, for the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of hind iniquity, because thy sins were increased. Why criest thou for thy thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. I have done these things unto thee. This is why the punishments are coming to them. Therefore, all they that devour thee shall be devoured, and all thine adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity, and they that spoil thee shall be a spoil, and they that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. Okay, so... <clears throat> Um, so they're basically, I think what, what the Lord's trying to do here is, you know, they're like suffering and the Lord is trying to let them know that this doesn't seem like this is not going to last forever, even though it might seem like it. And isn't that interesting how the Lord's always looking far ahead, right? Because sometimes the Lord will comfort us and let us know you know this is not going to last forever 
this is what it's going to be like later. And you think there's no way, you know, because you can't see kind of past a certain point. And so he was giving them hope, you know, like this is not, this is not how it is. This is what is coming and to have that hope. So the Lord has a plan to deliver his covenant people and David, their king, would lead them. David was a symbol of a leader who led Israel to be a powerful nation and whom their enemies could could not conquer. This is the king of their leader that they wanted when Jesus first came. But it is in the last days that Jesus will rule in this manner. The chapter heading explains David, their king, the Messiah, will reign over them. Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, is what it says. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all the nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. What marvelous promises are these? Imagine living in these last days without the blessings and peace the gospel offers. As the world reels to and fro, and as the second coming of Jesus Christ approaches, the gathering of Israel is also occurring on the earth and bringing peace to all that are gathered. The Lord explained, I make a full end of all nations. And he added, all they that devour thee shall be devoured. Isn't that amazing? And all thine adversaries, every one of them shall go into their, into captivity and they that spoil thee shall be spoiled and the, all that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. So President Elder, or President Elder, President Lorenzo Snow taught, by and by the nations will be broken up on account of their wickedness. The latter day saints are not going to move upon, upon them with their little army. They will destroy themselves with their wickedness and immorality. They will contend and quarrel one with another, state after state, nation after nation, until they are broken up. Thousands, tens of thousands, and hundreds of thousands will undoubtedly come and seek protection at the hands of the servants of God. Lorenzo Snow, The Coming of the Lord. That's the book, Coming of the Lord, pages 37 38. That's amazing, you know. And sometimes because we know these prophecies, we get a little bit cocky and we can be a little bit prideful. Like, hey, we're going to be the ones that are going to be saved, quote unquote, right? But I think that we all need to prepare, you know. Like, there's a lot of saints, including ourselves, that aren't perfect and so if we can remember that we always have work to be doing the lord's not just going to save us because we got baptized um we're not eight anymore you know we've made choices we've made uh, good choices and we've made bad choices you know and so we need to remember to keep remembering him. If we don't remember him, he's not, I mean, he remembers us always, but he's not going to have the ability to bless us if we don't remember him, if we don't take his, um, his name upon us every day and strive to do those things that he would want us to do. If we don't know him, you know, we're not going to feel at home with him, right? And if we don't feel at home with him, then what, why are you doing stuff, right? So <clears throat> I love I love these promises, but we have to remember that it's not 
he's not just going to save us because we were baptized, okay? He's going to save all kinds of people, and it's not just going to be the Latter-day Saints. And I love that President Nelson reminds us of these things, too. And this last general conference, I think President Oaks was the one telling us that there's lots of people out there that are not members that are doing awesome things, that the Lord works through them, too, not just through us. Because if he only worked through us, he'd have very limited limited options, right? So he works through all kinds of people through throughout the entire world and throughout history um, to bring to pass his work and his glory. So we just have the fullness of the gospel, which allows us to do things like have his priesthood restored so that we can do those ordinances in the temple and do those things that help us make additional covenants with him. But if we make additional covenants with him, if we're making extra promises with people, but we don't keep our side of the bargain, does it really count that we made extra promises with him? No. Uh, so anyways, okay. So now we're going to read number 18 says, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places, and the city shall be built, builded upon her own heap, and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof, and out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of them that make merry, and I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will also glorify them, and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be as aforetime, and their congregations shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them, and their nobles shall be of themselves, and their governors shall proceed from the midst of them, and I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach unto me, for who is this that engaged his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord? And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goeth forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind, it shall fall upon, I mean, it shall fall with pain upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he have done it and until he have performed the intents of his heart in the latter days. Ye shall consider it. Okay, so I really like how just a little bit earlier it mentioned that like people are, the Lord's not going to destroy people. The people are going to destroy themselves because of their wickedness. And I think that's important for us to realize um, that it's not that the Lord is punishing people, but that through our own actions, we punish ourselves and we're just living the consequences of our actions. And yeah, the Lord is not intervening and saving us from ourselves, right? You gotta set your own alarm. <laughs> It's like, so Grandma was taking care of you guys this week because we were leaving. And I told her, I said, Finn will catch his bus at at 7 o'clock. And Faust, you know, will just probably need to be ready by like 7.30 because his friends are going to come pick him up. Anyway, so then, of course, this morning, nobody wakes up and people are knocking at the door for Faust. And... My mom's trying to figure out, like, who is that? You know, what's going on? And she didn't understand what was happening anyway. <laughs> it was Faust friends knocking at the door. And, and 
Um, that meant that Finn was going to be late because Faust goes to school a little bit later than Finn. Anyway, so that's just like, I mean, yes, it is our responsibility because they're still children and, um, and we needed to wake them up. But once we get to a certain age, it's our own responsibility to set our alarm and get us to where we need to go, right? And so I think this is what the Lord's trying to tell us, you know? We're going to need this. You're old enough that you can set your own alarms. And if you don't wake up for your alarm, that's your bad. Like, I'm not going to wake you up. <laughs> and, I mean, I will share that if you go to the temple early in the morning or if you have an appointment to go early in the temple uh, in the morning and you stay up super late, the Lord's not going to really help you that much. However, if you can print out the names <laughs> of the people who you are going to go uh, do work for, sometimes they can help you wake up, even if you stay up super late. <laughs> and I only say that because I know that people have helped me wake up for on the other side of the veil because there is no way I would have woke up on my own you know and so you just have to try to work the system that way like yes you're doing a good thing staying up late but if you're like up partying you know I'm staying up late I'm trying to do my biz trying to set up stuff you know I'm not like wasting time at least not that much time and the Lord knows the intentions of our hearts and he knows what we're, what our plans are. He knows what's been happening in our lives anyway. So when I'm like, hey, please help me wake up because I do want to go to the temple, even though it's like already super late, like past midnight, but I got to get up at like four. And so the Lord can help us, but we also have to recognize our weakness in that. Like, I can't wait. The, I'm hoping that the millennium will allow me to not need sleep <sighs> and then my body won't be sick like this <sighs> anyway okay um where was i reading okay so these scriptures these scriptures teach a restoration of judah to their promised land um where they will be where they will rebuild it upon its own heap if you were to go to jerusalem today you would learn that it is literally built upon itself if you were to dig down you would find old wall streets etc oh that's weird i never knew that uh verse 21 explains that a governor will arise who will have a heart that draws near to the lord and then the covenant shall be renewed and the lord shall say and ye shall be my people and i will be your god president nelson quoted verse 22 after he announced 17 temples in the april 2002 2022 general conference that was just like this last conference that happened this year, earlier this year. It says, these 17 temples will bless countless lives on both sides of the veil. I love you, my dear brothers and sisters. More important, the Lord loves you. He is your savior and your redeemer. He leads and guides his church. May we be a people worthy of the Lord who said, ye shall be my people and I will be your God. Oh, I love that. President Russell and Nelson, April 2022 general conference okay so we are now in jeremiah chapter 31 one second though okay i had to refill my tub with hot water because it was getting super low also had to text some peeps back but we're back okay so 
<coughs> Oof. Now the hot water is super hot. Now I know what it's like for dad. He was actually really excited about me setting up this thing because he loves the bath and I actually don't like baths. They feel really unproductive, but I guess today it's kind of productive <laughs> because it's trying to get all my mucus out and anyways, that's what we got. Okay, so Jeremiah 31, we're reading one to nine. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the Lord of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built. O virgin of Israel, thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Thou, sit, thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall eat them as common things. For there shall be a day that the watchman upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. For thus saith the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and thou, and shout among the chief of the nations. Publish ye praise, and ye... Publish ye praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the coasts of the earth, and with them the, the blind and the lame, and the woman with child, and her that travaileth with child. Together a great company shall return hither. They shall come with weeping and with, with supplications. Will I lead them? I will cause them to walk by the rivers of the waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble, for I am father, I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Okay. I was about to start number 10. Okay, so here it says the Lord explains that the last days he will draw Israel to him with loving kindness. His relationship with Israel is compared to a bride who will again be adorned. It will be a time of rejoicing, and thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. Samaria is synonymous with the northern kingdom of Israel, and Ephraim was the largest tribe there. In verse 6, Jeremiah explains that the watchmen in the northern kingdom will cry out, will cry out not because of the approaching enemies, but because they see Zion. They will call out, let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. This captures such a reversal for Israel's watchmen from times past. Oh, that's cool. You know, sometimes we think of the watchmen on the tower just to watch, to um, give us warning of uh, invaders and attackers and enemies. And this time it says the watchman's going to give us, he's going to tell us about Zion. And that just kind of reminds me of President Nelson and how he is an awesome watchman on the tower, has warned us so much about the attacks the adversary has on us, but is also such a good watchman telling us about the Lord and his second coming and what we can do to prepare. 
Okay, I can't cry because that just makes it worse for my head. Because I'm trying to get this all out of my system. <laughs> um, anyways, I love President Nelson. And he says, The Lord further explains that he will bring them forth from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth. A great company shall return thither. The gathering will be great, and it will come from all over the earth. The Lord explains, Ephraim is my firstborn. Ephraim was not Jacob's firstborn. Ephraim was the second son of Jacob. Even, uh, Jacob, wait, Ephraim was the second son of Jacob's 11th son, Joseph. But the birthright went to Ephraim, and Ephraim has great responsibilities in the last days concerning the gathering of the rest of his family. He holds the birthright responsibilities. Okay, and Ephraim, when we get our patriarchal blessings, um, if you're from the house of Ephraim, then you have a great responsibility. Obviously, this here. Um, but Manasseh was, this, was the firstborn twin, right? And well, were, they, were they twins? No, I can't remember. Anyway, forget that I said twins, just in case. <laughs> and... Um, I'm from the house of Manasseh, but dad is from the house of Ephraim. So together we have great responsibility because Manasseh gets to help Ephraim, obviously, if they are brothers and they are, um, because we're always telling you to help your brother, right? Help your brother, help your brother, help your brother. Like if you're a Faust orphan, right? We're always telling you to help your brother. Okay. So, and just to be, you know, clear on the responsibilities you know sometimes we ask finn to take care, to take frodo out that's his responsibility right but then sometimes we ask faust to take frodo out because finn's gone doing something else and therefore the responsibility turns to him so it's possible that the reason why ephraim got the responsibility was because manasseh would have something else going on so anyways there you go it's possible that's how it's set up i don't know okay president joseph Fielding smith taught it is essential in this dispensation that Ephraim stand in his place at the head, ex exercising the birthright in Israel, which was given to him by direct revelation. Therefore, Ephraim must be gathered first to prepare the way through the gospel and the priesthood for the rest of the tribes of Israel when the time comes for them to be gathered to Zion. The great majority of those who have come into the church are Ephraimites. It is the exception to find one of any other tribe unless it is of Manasseh. <laughs> See what I just said? Okay, so President Joseph Fielding Smith, Doctrines of Salvation, uh, chapter thir 3, verse 252. I don't know how they do the, like in that book called Doctrines of Salvation. It's probably like page 32, line 252 or something like that. Okay, so, yeah, the... Ephraimites are the ones with the resp huge responsibility. And then there's those of us with the exception, like me being born from NASA. But that's okay, because I always ask you to help your brothers anyway, right? Okay, Whew, it's getting so hot. Also, I need more water, but I can't get more water. <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to read 10 to 14, and then read the 
summary about that. Okay, 10 to 14. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles out afar off, and say, He that scattereth Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the light of Zion and shall flow together in the goodness of the Lord. For wheat and for wine and for oil and for young of the flock and for the herd and their soul shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow any more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together. I will return their mourning into joy. Oops, I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow and will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith the Lord. Okay, um, I love this scripture there that I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them. Um, Being through all the kinds of suffering and, and mourning that I've gone through, um... I can definitely testify that joy doth come after um, and that the Lord can help you to turn that morning into joy. Um, it is only through the atonement of Jesus Christ that that can be, that that can happen. Time doesn't do anything. Time turns into torture if you don't have uh, Christ on your side. If you're not turning to Christ, time only turns into torture. But when you turn to Christ, he can definitely turn that morning into joy and can comfort you during those times that you need special comfort. And sometimes even after you think that you should, should quote unquote, be healed um the the adversary is always there trying to torture you and you need to continue to turn to Christ the other day um aunt julie asked me and she has a really close person of hers that has confided in her and i'm not going to tell you who it is but um they, their husband has uh, confessed to being addicted to pornography and other things, and his, and so her friend is really struggling to feel like there's any kind of joy or comforting. And Julie, the good friend that she is, of course. She is so compassionate. She tries to learn so much about all the different things that can um, afflict us um, physically or mentally and spiritually. And so when I told her about um, what was going on, she was so comforting, ready to help with anything. And so I know that she is able to help them, but... Only if they, only if they're able to turn to Christ, you know. Um, Julie is so good at remembering Christ, and um, and it's hard to remember when you're in that darkness um, because it feels like you have been forsaken, and which is why you mourn 
um, because of the loss of so many things, right? Your memories, your your peace, your mourning because of your you thought someone was the way that they were and turns out they're a totally different person and you just have so many things to mourn about that you can't see the joy and you don't allow it to uh, turn into joy. You don't allow the Lord to work in your life because you want to hold on to it. And it makes sense because if I hold on to it, then I can be justified in the way that I act, in the way that I should say react. And, and the Lord doesn't want us to live there, you know. Um, and so it's it's so hard to allow the lord back in uh after an experience like that because um you're just trying to hold on so tight to to anything and and you don't want you don't want to take it out on anybody but you are you, and sometimes you take it out on yourself um but i'm grateful that i had the, the resources and tools and sisters that I needed to get to be able to finally um, have the Lord turn my morning into joy and allow him to do that and to comfort me because I needed so much comfort. But you feel so alone. But this scripture right here just allows us to know that he can, that he can turn the morning into joy and will comfort us. And, but we have to allow him to do that in our lives. So when those hard things come, just allow him to do that. In fact, uh, Aunt Julie asked me, she said, so are you still, you know, in survival mode? <laughs> And I told her that there's no way that I could actually survive in survival mode that long. Um, that there's no way that I would be okay just being in survival mode. We are not meant to be in survival mode. Um, we are meant to be in joy mode. And occasionally, you know, dip down in, into the morning and then come back, right? That's... That's like what we're supposed to do because if we're too much in the morning, then we can allow Satan to take over and then we will never feel that joy. Um, and I'm talking about lasting joy. I'm not talking about like, I'm playing video games. This is so much fun. Okay. Um, you can't just distract yourself. And however, like she said, are you still in survival mode? And I told her, I said, survival mode for me means that I'm in fight or flight mode for my body. And my body can't handle being in fight or flight mode that long. No one's body can. Our bodies are not meant to live in fight or flight because then things stop working. And my body definitely stopped working and stopped working for a long time. And the way that I know that I wasn't in a fight or flight mode, in survival mode anymore, was when my body started working and we got pregnant with Flora. I didn't actually get to talk to her this long or else I would have 
you know, gotten to this moment. But when I realized that I was no longer in survival mode and that my body was healing and was thriving, was was getting better and was doing those things that my body is built to do. Um, that's how I knew. That's how I knew because, you know, we are meant to have joy. We are meant to, the Lord wants us to uh, have children to be able to experience that joy on different levels. Um, now, if you don't have kids and you can't have kids, that's, and that's really sad, and I mourn with you um, because I've been there. But maybe take an evaluation of what state is your body in? Is it, are you still in mourning? Are you in survival mode? Or are you in joy mode? Because that will affect how your body works. And your body experiences trauma just like your soul and your spirit and and your mental health. Like all your brain experiences trauma, your body experiences trauma, your soul experiences trauma. If all those things are in trauma mode, it's not going to work together for your good. And so we need to evaluate what are those things that my body needs to stay in joy mode? What are those things that my brain needs to stay in joy mode? And what are those things that my soul needs, that my spirit needs to stay in joy mode? And you got to do those three things. You got to do, and those three things might turn into 20 things. I don't know. It just depends on how you're able to... Uh, manage the time that the Lord has given you in each day. We've all been given 24 hours. Some of us don't know how to manage bedtime. I still don't know. So it makes sense that my body right now is sick because I'm still learning about why I need sleep, apparently. So if I don't give my body sleep, it's not going to perform how I want it to. And if I don't exercise, it's also not going to perform the way I want it to. I, I have experienced so many of these things in different ways. And so that's what I'm, I'm telling you. Those three things are key. What are you doing for your body's health? What are you doing for your brain's health? And what are you doing for your spirit's health? And all those things are going to contribute to your well-being, to your joy. And all of them... Christ can help you with. And that is the beauty of Jesus Christ and his atonement for us, that it both enables us and strengthens us and can help us when we make bad choices. And I'm not talking about bad choices like, you know, smoking and doing those things. I don't think you guys will ever get caught up in those kinds of addictions, but in those things that aren't good for us, in Maybe eating a bunch of candy. I know I'm bad with that. Maybe um, playing too much video games or spending too much time on social media. I know that I struggle with that, you know. And so what are those things that I'm doing to balance, to keep those things in balance, you know. Um, we talk about the our responsibilities and having like the work-life balance. Well, work and life balance is not something that I feel like is achievable. 
because sometimes you have to concentrate on certain things in life and concentrate on certain things in work. And so that, you know, sometimes work might take more time and sometimes life will take more time. Like what if you take a vacation, right? But the three things that you need to have in balance are, say it with me, things you do for your body, things you do for your brain, and things you do for your spirit. Those are the three things that need to be balanced. That's it. Um, anything else doesn't need to be balanced. It can be all over the place because it sometimes really is anyway. So anyways, that was a long thing on Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 13. But let me see. Let me read this, what it says here in the redheaded hostess. Oh man, my head is like exploding because I'm crying. So this is bad. Okay, so it says, declare this good news. So this is what Redheaded Hostess is saying. The Lord is gathering Israel as a shepherd doth his flock. And where will we? Where will they go? They will go to Zion. They shall flow together in the goodness of the Lord. There the Lord will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them. Yep. When we go towards Zion, the Lord can comfort us. And there in Zion, their soul will be satisfied. That's how we will be satisfied. And the word soul is actually our spirit and our body together. Um, and so don't get confused because sometimes we think, oh, well, we're only reading our scriptures because our spirit needs it. And, but guess what? It's all connected. Like our body is connected to our spirit. And so if you want your body to perform, if you want your body to feel good, and if you want your brain to feel good, do those things that your spirit needs you to do because it's all connected and it's part of, and it's all called the soul. Um, okay. And then here's a quote from Elder L. Legrand Richards. <laughs> I do not believe you could go anywhere in the world and find men engaged in the ministry. I care not how great their salaries are. Who would testify that the Lord has satiated their souls with fatness and they are satisfied with the Lord's goodness to them. As are you brethren who bear the priesthood of God and are privileged to feed the flock under his divine leadership and inspiration. There is nothing more attractive than a man doing his duty to God. Just saying. Um, and he said that, or he didn't say that about the attractiveness, but this is um, Elder Legrand Richards, April 1943 conference report. Okay, and then there's another quote by Brother Ahmad Corbett from a church news podcast in February 2022. It says, the missionary department is seeing missions that are baptizing more people now during the pandemic through technology than they did prior to the pandemic. And we know, and the brethren have taught, that the Lord inspired the invention of technology of technology for the gathering of Israel. And we're seeing that happen. We're learning how to do it. So by no means should anyone stay home. <laughs> this is the time to sign up. Get your application to... Get your application in to serve the Lord on a full-time mission because you are doing so and you will do so in a unique way and at a unique time foretold by the Lord. How true is this? All those missionaries who served during the pandemic probably were struggling at first and then later saw how the Lord was blessing the earth and like so many stories and of people being converted via technology, right? And we never really realized, I love that he put it this way, that the invention of technology was inspired by the Lord for the gathering of Israel. Like, the rest of the stuff that we do with tech is 
I don't know what, how to how to say it. Bonus. The rest of the stuff we do with tech is a bonus or a hindrance. <laughs> and we should realize that. Like, how are we using technology that we have been given access to to gather Israel, right? Um, and that's why it's so important for us to not just be consumers of technology because that is what Satan would want us to do. Yeah, I'm looking at awesome cute quotes from somebody on Instagram that knows how to design super cute quotes and I love it. It's so inspired. But (laughs) at the same time, what am I doing to inspire those around me? What am I doing to create those cute quotes? Maybe I need to put one of those up on my wall. Like I need to do something for the people around me, something for the people that I love and something for those who come in contact with me. So that is actually the reason why I created Warrior Woman because I wanted to share how the Lord has helped me in my struggles with my encounter with the adversary. And, you know, that like sometimes I wonder why you know we have to we had to go through that um and how Satan attacked our family that way and I realize that that was the only way I could see him as he really was as he really is see Satan is what I'm talking about see Satan as he really is that he is a destroyer, that he is trying to rip my family apart, that he is trying to rip my peace and that he just wants to torture me. And had I not known, had we not had this experience, I don't think that I would know how to fight back um, and how to use my weapons to fight. And I didn't, I didn't know. And so I really, you know, so this is really like a way, that was really a way for me to see the darkness. In fact, I wish I could find that quote. Hold on. Okay, so I'm going to go into where you've been watching uh, Lord of the Rings Ring of Power episodes from Amazon. And I love, like, the first episode had so many good gems. So Galadriel is little in this um, in in this first episode. And then she grows up to be, like, a young woman. And then she's a young woman for a while. And I think that's what these are, these episodes are. But um, anyway, something that she said to her brother when, um, when she was little, um, it was having to do with light. And um, just really quick. And she wasn't sure about light. And so she said, how am I to know which lights to follow? And her brother Finrod said, sometimes we cannot know until we have touched the darkness. And I think that's true. It's a little bit sad, but it's a little bit true also that sometimes we have to touch that darkness or approach it or experience it in some way to know what the complete opposite is, to know which light to follow. And it becomes more clear to us as we have that experience. And... 
so she said, then she said, but that seems so simple. And Finrod says, the most important truths are often are, because we know that they are, but you must learn to discern them for yourself. I won't always be here to speak them to you. And that's her brother, big brother. Which I think Lord of the Rings has so many things that liken uh, that typify of Christ and that liken everything to the gospel. Or I should say liken some things to the gospel. Which is why I actually like watching it because I'm like, how do they know to say that? How do, what, 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 what did they know? How do they know? You know, I'm like, are one of them members? Probably not. I don't know. And then, um, anyways, they had, uh, she talks about light. And I like this part. It said that we had no word for death, for we thought our joys would be unending. But the great foe Morgoth put an end to such idealism, right? So that's their enemy. And it's true. Sometimes we're so naive, we don't know. And we just think, oh, we're just going to experience joy, 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 joy. But then we understand that there is an enemy that we are fighting. Um, and so I think once she understood that, that's what her quest was. She just has like this unending quest to go beat the the dark side. And I love that about her. She's such a warrior. And I see myself in her. And so I love like her relentlessness, her dedication, her her unbending attitude towards it. But it, she comes off as like kind of mean a little bit when because she's just focused on one thing, destroying the enemy. <laughs> that she doesn't really see the goodness that is around her, right? So, okay, let's see. So, and so you don't want to get too much like that, but you do, if you know what I mean. Okay, uh, let's see. There's this other quote that I really like. Oh, she says, evil does not sleep, it waits. And in the moment of our complacency, it blinds us. Right? It's totally true. Totally true. Um, and then I like this last quote about light. Let's see if I can find it. Talks about how, um, let's see, wait. Mm. Okay, it's from Galadriel, of course, because, or I should say Galadriel, right? <laughs> anyway, she says, nothing is evil in the beginning. And there was a time when the world was so young, there had not yet been a sunrise. But even then, there was light. And isn't that true? Like in our pre-mortal life, we had so much light because we lived amongst our heavenly family, our heavenly parents, Jesus Christ. There was so much light, but he hadn't created the sun. And so there was no sunrise yet. So I love that. And like, how did they know that? Like, how did they know to put that in there? I don't know. Anyways, I love Lord of the Rings, the episodes we're watching. And also back in the day, they didn't really use cuss words so it's kind of nice when you can watch a show that does not have cussing however it is very graphic so that's why i don't want you guys to see it yet fin fast and floor 
Okay, so let's go back to Jeremiah since we <laughs> got off on a tangent there. Because our mourning from that verse, our mourning comes from listening to the adversary or from the adversary because somebody else listened to them, right? Anyways, so, but the Lord, he can turn our mourning into joy and will comfort us. Okay, so there we go. Um, now we're on Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. And I think we're already into an hour. Ooh. Okay, 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. Amen. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. So right here, the Lord then speaks uh, poetically as he references a terrible piece of history. When Judah tra truly wept, the time when Herod had the babies killed, Rachel is the same as uh, Rahel. Rahel is the same as Rachel, the wife of Jacob, and whose tomb is just outside of Bethlehem. This occurrence was so terrible that Rachel wept and refused to be comforted. But the Lord instructs her to refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded. Better days are coming. In fact, glorious days are coming as the Lord gathers Rachel's children. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. Remember that Jeremiah and Lehi lived in Jerusalem at the same time. Elder Quentin L. Cook pointed out that both of them understood the prophecies that the Lord would gather Israel in the last days. Notice what Elder Cook said. Jeremiah and Lehi also taught that those who are righteous must help the Lord establish his church and kingdom and gather scattered Israel. These messages have echoed and been reinforced across the centuries in all dispensations. They are at the heart of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this, the final dispensation, the captivity of the Jews and the scattering of the tribes of Israel, included the 10 tribes, are prominent doctrinal factors in the restoration of the gospel. The 10 lost tribes made up of the northern kingdom of Israel and were carried away captive into Assyria in 721 BC. They went to the north countries. Our 10th article of faith states, oh, and we are learning this in primary because it's October and the 10th article of faith. Anyway, it says, we believe in the literal gathering of Israel and in the restoration of the 10 tribes. So that was from Elder Quentin L. Cook, October 2013 General Conference. And then this is what Lehi taught, the prophet Lehi says in first nephi chapter 10 verse 14 he says and after the house of israel should be scattered they should be gathered together again or in fine after the gentiles had received their full the fullness of the gospel the natural branches of the olive tree or remnants of the house of israel should be grafted in or come to the knowledge of the true messiah their lord and their redeemer oh careful do not dump this thing into the top okay so verse 18 I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus, Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock, unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, 
for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned. I repented, and after that I was instructed. I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Set thee up waymarks, make thee high heaps, set thine heart toward the highway, even the way which thou wentest. Turn again, O virgin of Israel, turn again to thy, to these thy cities. Okay, so this is like a call to return. And then number 22 says, how long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. What does a woman shall encompass a man mean? I, This is just supposed to be funny. But to me, that just means like a, a woman is going to walk circles around a man. like, And that's probably like what this time of like our time in history is like so many women are like trying to prove themselves like I I'm better than a man blah 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 and all the feminists or I should say extreme feminists I, I consider myself a feminist like I think women can do things and but I'm not like we can do things better than men like I really don't I feel like we all have different roles you know so and and it's on purpose because we work together in bringing to pass good right so anyway um but the whole a woman shall encompass shall compass a man that kind of sounds like right now where women will try and walk circles all over these men like i can do better you know so maybe that's what that is anyways okay so 23 thus saith the lord of hosts the god of israel as yet they shall use this speech in the land of judah and in the cities thereof when i shall bring again their captive their captivity the lord blesses thee o inhabitants of justice and mountain of holiness now i lost my place here we go and number 24 and there shall dwell in judah itself and in all the cities thereof together hands husbandmen and they that go forth with flocks for i have satiated the weary the weary soul and i have replenished every sorrowful soul upon this i awake awaked and beheld and my sleep was sweet unto me oh man i need to take a nap <laughs> that sounds amazing um 27 behold the days come saith the lord that i will sow the house of israel and the house of judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast and it shall come to pass that like as i have watched over them to pluck up and break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict will so will i watch over them to build and to plant saith the lord okay so we're reading till 28 okay um so some commentary though the tribe of ephraim was the birthright tribe in the Old Testament. They did not lead Israel in righteousness, but this will change in the last days. He will repent and correct his ways. <coughs> That's great. This is what the guide of the scripture says about the tribe of Ephraim in the last days. Ephraim was given the birthright in Israel. In the last days, their privilege and responsibility is to bear the priesthood, take the message of the restored gospel to the world, and raise an ensign to gather scattered Israel. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, the children of Ephraim will crown thy will crown with glory those from the north countries who return in the last days. So, if we think Dad being from the house of 
tribe of Ephraim, okay, will then, he's supposed to, now this is, you know, according to scripture, says, in the last days, privilege and responsibility is to bear the priesthood, okay, and take the message of the restored gospel to the world, okay, and raise an ensign to gather scattered Israel. Okay, so um, this does not just mean during his two years and on his mission, but that certainly helped, right? Um, but then it says, but it says like, you know, it's like, that's like your life calling. That's your life calling. Okay. Then the children of Ephraim, so I guess Finn, Faust, and Flora, will crown with glory those from the North countries who return in the last days. And so... will crown with glory. I mean, when you put a crown on somebody, what does that mean? Like you're you're crowning someone, right? You're putting like a princess crown or prince crown on someone. What does that mean? It it means like you're giving them responsibilities too, right? Um will crown with glory um could mean possibly helping those people get baptized, you know, that would, I mean, I would consider that being crowned with glory. Um, getting them to go to the temple, I think that would also count as crowning with glory. Um, and those from the North countries. So back in the day, the North countries were like the enemies, right? People from the North were coming down to attack them. But they're not going to return to attack this time. They're going to return so that we can crown them with glory. Um, interesting. Very interesting. Okay, so now in verse 21 it says, some commentary, contains a call for Israel to return. Ephraim should lead all of the tribes in returning and set up highway and mark the way that path, the path to return is to be made clear and easy to be found. Israel no longer needs to remain in backsliding or apostate state. The Lord will restore his covenant and it will provide so much security and protection for them that a woman can compass or protect a man. Huh. Maybe I interpreted that wrong. Probably. I don't know what that means still. Israel no longer needs to remain in backsliding or apostate. The Lord will restore his covenant and it will provide so much security and protection for them that a woman can compass or protect a man. Hmm. And I wonder if that I'm just trying to think out loud now. I wonder if that means like we can help to protect our men by the things that we do to protect ourselves, right? Um, we can be those women on the watchtower for our men in allowing them to see what we see, like to see our attacks coming up because that protects us as I, sometimes I'm able to let Clark know like, hey, we're going to be attacked like this and just so you know, like I'm going to need this from you, you know, and it just kind of helps him see where the attacks are coming from and it it's not that he's needing my protection but 
in me sharing that information with him, it allows him to protect me and his family, right? So he's not fighting by himself. I feel like that's kind of like the message that I'm getting. I don't know. That's kind of, I've, I've actually felt that too. Like sometimes we're in a different position to be able to see attacks, right? Like my peripheral vision, peripheral vision is only so far and only so much. And I'm losing or have lost like the ability to see super close. But if I have help, right, then they can see different things than I can, more things than I can. And so together we can see better, right? And I think that's kind of like what our family is too, you know, like it's so good to talk to a family about the attacks that we are getting on ourselves. Like this is how Satan attacked me today, you know, and it was kind of crazy how he did this and he did it like this and I kind of got weak and so this happened, but then I realized it was coming from Satan. So then I did this and, you know, like, I feel like that can be something that we can start talking about, talking about, you know, like we talk about like Faust and I do this favorite things where he tells me his favorite thing of the day. Then we tell him like pit of the day, the peach in our pit. And, um, sometimes we don't have a pit. Sometimes, um, sometimes it feels like we can't find a peach in the day, you know, but I think, I think what we can do in the morning, I think, or even at dinner time or whenever, you know, could be like, like, when have you felt the hand of the Lord? And when have you felt attacked by the adversary? Like, that could be, like, two questions, you know? Um, and then that could help us start, like, learning. Like, hey, these are some things that are happening in our family. Oh, dad's calling. Okay, so, and then commentary on verse 23. The day will come when those who will return will use this speech or say these words says in verse 23, the Lord bless thee, O habitation of justice and mountain of holiness. Zion will be a place where justice and holiness abounds. They will be blessed spiritually and politically. And in verse 24, they will be blessed physically. Dude, all the things will be blessed with all the lees. Okay, verses, let's see where we're at. Okay, so I'm going to re finish reading Jeremiah 31. <clears throat> And then, and then we're, we're going to need to be done. Okay. Um, when did I finish reading? 28. Okay. In those days, they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten a sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they, bake, they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more. 
every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the lord for that for they shall all know me for the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the lord for i will forgive their iniquity and i will remember their sin no more thus saith the lord which giveth the sun for the for a light by day and for and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for light for a light by night which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that wait, for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Behold, the day... The days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner. And the measuring line shall yet go forth over against it upon the hill Garib and shall compass about the Goeth and the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and of the fields unto the brook of Kidron unto the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be holy unto the Lord. It shall not be plucked up nor thrown down any more forever. Okay, a couple things. <clears throat> Just a quote here from Elder er, President Alan H. Oaks. He says, The covenant described in these scriptures made new is. Uh, wait, made new by its renewal and confirmation in these latter days refers to our covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. It incorporates the fullness of the gospel, which President Joseph Fielding Smith described as the sum total of all gospel covenants and obligations. This was in the Enzyme, March 1994. So I love that because he's saying like it's a new covenant, but I mean, it's just like covenants that are like the fullness right like restored because now we have the fullness of the gospel and now we can make the full covenants with the lord um and then says the new covenant will not be outward it will be inward and it will be written in their hearts it will change them and transform them so much that it will impact how they treat others and elder kim b clark taught when we live our covenants the influence they influence everything we say and do we live a covenant life full of simple everyday acts of faith that focus on Jesus Christ. These acts of covenant devotion open our hearts and minds to the redeeming power of the Savior and the sanctifying influence of the Holy Ghost. Line upon line, the Savior changes our very nature. We become more deeply converted unto him and our covenants come alive in our hearts. The promises we make to our Heavenly Father become rock-solid commitments, our deepest desires, our covenants cease to be rules we follow and become beloved principles that inspire and guide us and rivet our focus on Jesus Christ. Ooh, I love that. Elder Kimby Clark, April 2019 General Conference. Okay, so dad got back to the hotel room and it was funny because I'm still in the tub and he thought that was awesome. <laughs> he loves tubbing and I literally the last time I took a tub bath was when... I was pregnant with Faust and it was delivery day and they tried to put me in the tub to have Faust and I was like, no way. I think that's when it was. Was it with Flora? I don't think it was with Flora because I would have known better. Now I have to ask dad. Okay, yep, I asked dad and we did not try it at all with Flora because of my experience with Faust. And 
<laughs> Dad was just like, wait, have you not gotten into the tub in our new house? And I'm like thinking, nope, I have not. I'm pretty sure that the last time I got into a tub was when I was pregnant with Faust. And it was delivery day, so like October 3rd, 2013. <laughs> Sounds crazy. But yeah, after that, I was like, I'm never getting in a tub. Dude, the tub somehow amplifies the contractions or the pressure that you feel um, or the, I don't know what they're called. Oh, I can't remember what the hypnobirthing people called contractions, but now I can't remember. Oh, surges. That's what it was. Those surges were like amplified like crazy in the tub. So yeah, I do not do that well. Um <clears throat> Okay, so I'm just going to read some quotes from Jeremiah um, because we're not going to be able to read everything verbatim because we've got to wrap this up since it's already really long. Okay, so... In chapter 32, Zedekiah was the final king of Judah. He was in his first year as king when the Book of Mormon record opened um, see first Nephi one four. So Babylon was deep into its siege of Jerusalem by this point. This would have been a terrifying time for all the inhabitants of Jerusalem because Babylon had surrounded the city with the intent of cutting off food from enter- entering the city, resulting in a famine. Jeremiah had delivered a prophecy to Zedekiah, and Zedekiah shows in verses. 3 to 5, that he heard it loud and clear. In return, Zedekiah shut Jeremiah up in prison. So while Babylon had surrounded the city, Jeremiah was shut up in prison inside the city. Dude, that is so crazy. Um, this is That scene is actually in the movie, so go watch it because it's pretty crazy. The prophecy was that Babylon would take the city and Zedekiah would be captured and be taken to Babylon. However, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied that Zedekiah would never see Babylon To Zedekiah, these prophecies may have seemed to contradict each other until Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had Zedekiah's eyes put out and therefore fulfilling both prophecies. Oh, wow. It's so crazy. Jeremiah then tells a story of how the Lord directed him to buy the land from his uncle's son while he was in prison. It may seem foolish to buy land from a place that is about to be conquered and destroyed, but the Lord had a lesson in mind. Uh, the Lord told Jeremiah that his uncle's son would come to him and offer him some land. Just as the Lord had explained, Jeremiah's uncle's son came to him while he was in prison and offered him the land. Jeremiah then went through all the proper and legal procedures to buy the land while he's in jail. That's hilarious. Jeremiah then went through, oh, uh, and had the evidence of the purchase sealed in an earthen vessel. Why would the Lord tell Jeremiah to do this? Babylon would seize the land, but for thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. This is a hint in why the Lord gave Jeremiah the charge to buy this land. Um, After purchasing the land, Jeremiah then offered a prayer to the Lord and recorded it. Jeremiah then clearly explained exactly what had happened to the land that the Lord had given to his covenant people. He had miraculously delivered them from Egypt and given them this land, and they came in and possessed it, by the, but they obeyed not the voice. Now there were mounts set upon the city. Mounts were ramps built up against the walls so that the army could enter the city and conquer it. 
And Jeremiah knew that it would be conquered. Then Jeremiah explains that. And thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy these, buy thee, buy thee the field for money. It looks as though Jeremiah was seeking further understanding, which teaches an important principle. Jeremiah did as the Lord asked, even before he understood why. Jeremiah was willing to spend money on a seemingly foolish purchase because he completely trusted the Lord. Um, this is not revelation to go seek that foolish purchase. <laughs> like everybody thinks it's crazy, but the Lord told me to buy it. Yeah, not like that. Um, the Lord then answered Jeremiah's prayer in verses 26 to 44. Um, I think it's so interesting, though, that, you know, the Lord likes to do things by legal means. And he's not out trying to rip people off and he's not out trying to do things behind your back and trying to steal things. You know, he is trying to do things the right way. And so he asked Jeremiah to buy some land, even though it seemed like at the worst time while he's in jail and while people are being um, taken over. Okay, then this is the Lord's answer to Jeremiah. Even though Jeremiah was being obedient, he still didn't understand the Lord's thoughts were higher than even the prophets. Behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? The Lord explained that the city would be given to the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans is a term used to refer to the people of Babylon. The city will be set on fire because the people had turned their backs to the Lord. However, there will come a day when the Lord will gather them out of the countries. I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. In that day, they shall be my people, and it will be, and I will be their God. And the Lord will give them one heart and one and one way. The Lord will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them. The Lord will rejoice over them, and will I will plant them in this land. And in that day, fields shall be brought to in this land, for I will cause their captivity to return. This is the reason the Lord wanted Jeremiah to purchase the land. It was a symbol of hope. The land was not lost forever. Jeremiah bought the land that seemed hopeless as a sign of what would one day come. Wouldn't it be wonderful to one day find out exactly where this land was? Land made holy by Jeremiah's faith. <clears throat> Elder Maxwell pointed out the significance of these verses have to have to us. Those who have now been gathered out of all countries in the last days, he taught. Meanwhile, brothers and sisters, no one ever promised us that discipleship in the last days would be a picnic in the park. Former periods of stress can guide us. When the earlier coming of Jesus was imminent, signs abounded. Still, for some, there were doubtings. But the faithful prevailed and were vindicated. There were determined detractors then mocking the faith of believers, briefly creating a great uproar, even rejoicing over the seeming prospect that the faith of the Christ of Christ's followers would be in vain. It was not. Members kept the faith and they the faith kept them. For today's spiritually attuned, the re, the reassurances will be there as with Elisha's young servant, encircled by an outnumbering enemy. The young man rightly sought reassurance from the prophet and seer who told him, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. That's in Second Kings verse six or chapter six, verse sixteen. I like that scripture. But the young man could count and clearly 
it did not look that way to him until after the prophet's prayer in his behalf. Then the young man's eyes were open and he saw the mountain filled with horses and chariots of fire. All will be well as anciently because the Lord's covenant keepers have his echoing assurance. And they shall be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and, and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And that's in Jeremiah 32, 38 to 40. (coughs) Quoted by Elder Neil I. Maxwell, April 1984 General Conference. This is what one of the church manuals explains about the everlasting covenant, which is often also called the new and everlasting covenant. Quote, the new and everlasting covenant is the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is new because it has been revealed and or restored in each dispensation of time. It is everlasting because it never changes. The things that would save a man in Adam's day are the very things that will save a man today. Doctrine and Covenants Instructor Guide, Religion, pages 30, 324 to 325, Lesson 25. Okay. So now we're on Jeremiah 33. still have Jeremiah 36. Okay, so you know what? I am going to read just a few more quotes and we'll call it good for Jeremiah and then we'll have Lamentations tomorrow. Okay. <clears throat> President Ezra Taft Benson, he says, as Latter-day Saints from the very inception of this Latter-day work, we have had a deep interest in this group of our father's children, the descendants of Judah, 110 years ago, at this very conference, two of the elders of the church, elders Orson Hyde and and Johnny Page, were called to go to the land of Palestine and dedicate it for the return of the descendants of Judah. Ten years before, the prophet Joseph had predicted on the head of Orson Hyde that in due time he should go to Jerusalem, the land of his fathers, and be a watchman to that people. History tells us that Elder Hyde did go and dedicate the land in 1841. In Elder Hyde's prayer of the dedication of the Mount of Olives, he prayed that the brother that the barrenness and sterility of the land would be removed, that springs of water would burst forth, and that the land would become fruitful again, uh, that the Lord would subdue their unbelief and incline them to gather in upon this land. He also prayed that God would inspire the kings of the earth to help bring about the promises made to Judah. At about this time, President Wilfred Woodruff uttered a very important prophecy prayer and testimony with reference to this people in which he said, The Lord has decreed that the Jews should be gathered from all the Gentile nations where they have been driven into their own land in fulfillment of the words of Moses, their lawgiver. And this is the will of your great Elohim, O house of Judah. And whenever you shall be called upon to perform this work, the God of Israel will help you. You have... A great future and destiny before you. You cannot avoid fulfilling it. You are the royal chosen seed and the God of your father's house has kept you distinct as a nation for 1800 years. Under all the oppression of the whole Gentile world, you may not wait until you believe on Jesus of Nazareth. But when you meet with Shilon, your king, you will know him. Your destiny is marked out. You cannot avoid it. Wilfred Woodruff. Matthias, Matthias F. Cowley, page 507. Okay, and that was quoted by Ezra Taft Benson in April 1950 General Conference. Okay, so in the chapter heading in Jeremiah 33, 
explains that the branch of the righteousness in verse 15 is the Messiah. President Nelson explained, I am intrigued with the symbolic significance of the fact that some scholars suggest that the word Nazareth is derived from the Hebrew word Netzer, which means branch. Jesus, the divine branch, was to be reared in the place with the name meaning branch. Jeremiah further prophesied that the Lord would cause the branch of righteousness to grow up into unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. The Lord again expressed how dedicated he is to the, co- to the covenants he has made. The only way he would forget his covenant is if someone could break the Lord's covenant with day and night, which will never happen. Therefore, he will not forget the covenant he made with David, which is that David would have a son reign upon his throne. David would have many sons sit upon his throne, but that came to an end. Ultimately, the Messiah would be the greatest fulfillment of this promise when he again takes the throne in the millennium. The Lord then addressed what the people were saying, which was that the Lord had cast them off. But the Lord rejected that and said that he would only cast off the seed of Jacob and of David if his covenant with the day, with day and night were broken. <clears throat> the Lord then declared, I will cause their captivity to return and have mercy on them. Okay, these were political perilous times, and the leadership could have helped change the course of Judah's history if they would have heeded the prophet's warnings. It is also interesting to consider that Lehi and his family would have been living in Jerusalem at this time. In chapter 33, when Jeremiah was in prison, Lehi and his family were gone, so they never saw the banks rising up around Jerusalem's walls. They left when they were actually able to leave without the Babylonian army blocking their way. Their story shows how important it was for them to follow the Lord's direction when he gave it. Jeremiah had a different mission to fulfill. He was to stay and prophesy until the bitter end. Oh, also, it does show that the Lord told him he wasn't supposed to have a wife, and that made me very sad. But as you can see, like, trying to live like that and be in prison and all those things, with kids, you can see from the from Joseph Smith that it would have been really hard. Although, I'm sure it would have been, you know, harder when it was Jeremiah's time. But it made me kind of sad because what if, what if he really wanted a girlfriend or a wife, you know, like want to have kids and stuff. So that was also covered in this, um, in these chapters. But it's a little bit sad for him, you know? Okay, so Jeremiah, the Lord directed Jeremiah to take a roll of a book and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah. A roll would be a scroll, and the Lord wanted the people to know and hear prophecies that they may return every man from his evil way. So Jeremiah called Baruch the scribe and had him write down the prophecy. At this time, Jeremiah was not allowed to in the temple. Can you imagine? The prophet not being allowed in the temple. So Baruch needed to do what Jeremiah could not go into the temple and read them in the ears of all of Judah that come out of the cities. And Baruch the son of Neriah did according to that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him. What courage he must have had, right? For sure, because he could have gotten in trouble too. Technically speaking, the prophet's message should have been welcome in the temple. Imagine going to the temple today and being read a message from the current prophet. It would be welcome in the ears of those in the temple, for sure. So to the temple, Baruch went, and it began to take hold. Okay, and then... Uh, 
Um, so a prince of Judah heard what Baruch read in the temple. He seems to have been a righteous man and was moved by what he heard. He then went and shared the message to all the princes in the scribe in the scribe's chamber at the king's house. The princes then asked Baruch to bring the prophecies and read them to them. To Baruch, they said, sit down now and read it in our ears. So Baruch read it in their ears. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. <laughs> His name, Baruch. Um, now it came to pass when they had heard all the words, they were afraid both one and another and said unto Baruch, 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 we will surely tell the king of all these words. But before they went and told the king, they told Baruch, Go hide thee, thou and Jeremiah. They understood the king's temperament and they and that the prophecies would not be well received. Nevertheless, he needed to hear what the prophet said. And so the princes then took the scroll and laid it around laid it up, laid up the roll to the chamber of the of Elishima, the scribe. Then they went and told the king what was written on the scroll. And they were likely afraid that the king would do something to the scroll, so they did not take the scroll to him, but just rehearsed what was written upon it. The king sent Jehudi to fetch the roll, and then Jehudi read it in the ears of the king and all the princes. Then the king cut up the scroll and cast it into the fire. Oh man, that was on the hearth until the roll was consumed in the fire. Dude, that would be like the worst to be there and be like, no. Then he commanded his servant to bring Baruch and Jeremiah to him, but the Lord hid hid them. So this was truly unfortunate response from the king. Had he listened, he could have helped Judah turn to the Lord and avoid the destruction that would have come within the lifetime of most of these those in the room. He could have been Hezekiah or Josiah, kings who sought to save Israel, but instead he rejected the message and even burned it. Jeremiah even noted their response after hearing the prophecies. Yet they were not afraid nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. This indicates that they did not accept the prophecy, so it didn't grieve them, which means they did not trust in the Lord's prophet. In comparison, when King Josiah was read the scriptures that were found in the temple, oh yeah, you remember that story? He rent his clothes and then proceeded to try to rid Judah from idolatry. However, there were some among them who did not want the scroll burned, but he would not listen wouldn't have been interesting to witness this event, this pivotal moment when the leaders could have made such a difference. Ah, oh, it's so true. <clears throat> um, then later, Jeremiah did just as the Lord told him to write and wrote the prophecies again. Jehoiakim will learn that burning the scroll does not change the prophecy. Okay, and then the last... Um, book or the last note is when Jehoiakim was king Babylon came up to Jerusalem and Jehoiakim became the servant of Babylon for three years Jehoiakim refused paying Babylon's tribute which caused King Nebuchadnezzar to send a big warning shot by taking prisoners to Babylon Jehoiachin became king he was Jehoiakim's son and he was he only was king for three months. While he was king, Babylon attacked the city and carried off the treasures of the temple and more prisoners were taken captive. Babylon then put Zedekiah on the throne and Zedekiah was meant to be the puppet king doing as Babylon wished. However, Zedekiah also rebelled. Nebuchadnezzar then ordered the Babylonian army to surround the city, build ramps against the walls, and ultimately destroy the city. In 586 BC, the city fell. The temple was burned as well as the houses in Jerusalem. The gates were destroyed and the walls were broken down. 
Those who had survived were carried off into Babylonian exile, although some of the poorest in the land were left behind. Dude, that is crazy. And that's where we're going to end. So thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. I love you and goodbye.